3 a.m. Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, this is Jamie with 3AM Tales of Terror, where we tell you stories of the paranormal. I'm your host, Jamie. <laughs> Such a butt. <laughs> I just wanted you to do it. You got this. Why? Because. I've got to switch it up. I just switched it up. Your butthole. It'd be aight. So what are we talking about today? It's, well, it's Memorial Day. And I figured, well, we were busy yesterday, like really busy and I was really tired and because we've been working on the bathroom, that's a nightmare <laughs> for you. Well, you've been working on the bathroom, I not say, you me. You haven't been doing nothing, dude. <laughs> oh my God. I've been installing a new walk-in shower, nightmare fuel. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Sam's today and that was not good. That wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. So anyways, we're going to talk about the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas. Which I thought was like <laughs> the, 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 the like the Driscoll brothers <laughs> from Red Dead. It is not, sadly. I am no, sad. I didn't. I didn't know. The old Driscoll. And our third co-host, Eli, is here making a bunch of noise. He needs to get in his chair and take a nap. He's been needy. He has been. Okay. So now we're back to our normal stuff. Back to our normal stuff. And we're in the United States today. We're um, in Austin, Texas. 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 I can't do it like your your dad. No, I can't, do the, the, I can't do the whistle. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that anyway. <laughs> Te- Texas. No, I can't do it. Mm-mm. Okay. So Austin is... Okay, so <laughs> I have to... <laughs> These first like two or three paragraphs I put, or two paragraphs I put in because they're just kind of funny. I liked the way that they were worded. So, <laughs> oh my, oh my god! Austin is basically spooky central. It's the sort of town with such a grand ectoplasmic infestation that every day seems like Halloween. Ghost tours aren't just a way of making a living. They're basically obligatory and quite possibly enforced by mucky mucks in charge of Austin. The Chamber of Commerce, m- commerce. The Chamber of Commerce might as well give out EMP detectors to new residents and assign each of them a turf. Still, there's a sweet spot that brings in all the traffic. The one place ghost enthusiasts go gonzo for. Whatever that means. A place on Austin's haunted... Hold on. What? You don't know what going gonzo means? No. Crazy, super excited, ballistic, you know. Sure. You've gone gonzo? No. <sighs> so. It's a... It, I, when we use always use it as a stoner term. Oh. You smoke too much weed, you went gonzo. You're sitting there giggling and cracking and laughing up and you can't see and you're fucking crying and shit. No, I'm sorry. I've never smoked that much in my life. I've never done that many drugs. Drugs are bad. I've never done any. (laughs) A place on Austin's haunted face that every guide wants on their repertoire. The one cherry each tour company fights over. The slime-filled blood zit of supernatural markers that everyone longs to press and sigh in bizarre gratification when all the gooey white stuff explodes. That place is the Driscoll Hotel. What are you doing? 
Can you not play with that right now? We're kind of busy. <sighs> Eli's playing with this plastic bag thing, and he picks the most awful times to play with it and make noise, and I can't concentrate. The one time he needs to take a dang nap. The Driscoll, a Romanesque style building completed in 1886, is the oldest operating hotel in Austin, Texas, United States, and one of the best known hotels in Texas generally. The Driscoll was conceived and built by Colonel Jesse Driscoll, a cattleman from Missouri, who spent his fortune constructing, quote, the finest hotel south of St. Louis. Jesse bought the land in 1884, and two years later, he had the grand opening, all paid with blood money. The Driscoll has what could only be described as a karmic whammy on itself. It was paid, furnished, and marketed with coins chiseled into Jesse's pockets on the back of dead soldiers, human misery, and slaughtered cows. The whole assembly line, from start to finish, was drenched in blood and vile. The entrepreneur, a self-made beef baron, broke the bank when he started selling cattle to the Confederate Army. After the Civil War, when the South decided to call it quits, Jesse looked at his kingdom and realized that he was, well rich the bloody cash the the bloody clash had flushed him with bank vaults of money and in a couple of years he became the richest one of the richest men in the state today the driscoll remains one of the premier hotels in austin featuring lavish bridal suites two restaurants and a grand ballroom the driscoll has been operated by hyatt hotels corporation since 2013 the hotel was listed in the National Register of Historic Places on November 25th, 1969. So obviously we're going to go into some background of it. And then Kenny's going to talk about the architecture because I thought that the architecture was really cool. Like, so you can get a picture of like what it looks like. And then we're going to talk about history with Driscoll himself because he was not a great man. And he was kind of an idiot. And then we're going to go into the ghosty ghost. I feel like most people in haunted stories are not very intelligent. Well, you'll just, we'll see. Cause not one story have we ever gone over I know. where great decisions were made. I know. <laughs> and it's not even like, oh man, hindsight's twenty twenty. I should have changed it. It's like you just should have been pretty blatantly obvious not to do X. I know. <laughs> well, I think, I'm not in 100% sure, but I think like he just lost a bunch of money. But I'm not sure how. So we're going to go into that. Because I researched this story, but I didn't, like, read-read it. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. You're weird today. <laughs> Me? Yeah. You're the one who was being autistic this morning and not knowing the way to Sam's. That's be I have a morning routine. <laughs> <laughs> I ruined his morning routine. And it ruined it, so it messed me all up. So I was in a fucking haze for like the first hour and a half of the day. <laughs> You'll be all right. You got this. I like structure. You only have like like eight more hours of today. You got this. Which is also sad, considering the fact that I work all fucking weekend. <laughs> I know. All right, we're going to talk about the architecture. The Driscoll is composed of two interconnected buildings. The original four-story Romanesque rival building constructed in 1886 and a 13-story annex constructed in 1930. The facade contains three limestone busts of Driscoll and his sons. 
J.W. Bud Driscoll facing Brazo Street, A.W. Tobe Driscoll facing an alley on the west side, and Jesse Driscoll facing 6th Street, whose bus is surrounded by decorative carvings, including longhorns on the gable ends. Which there really is longhorns on the gable ends. They're like, I don't know how like tiny they are in like scale compared to the picture that I saw, but they really are like, there's really like longhorns on the end of the gables. It's funny. The hotel opened with 60 rooms, including 12 corner rooms with attached baths, a rare feature in hotels of the region at the time. At the center of the hotel was a four-story open rotunda capped by a domed skylight which functioned as a flue to suck up the hot air and cool the building. The skylight was removed when air conditioning was installed on the roof in 1950. The building was designed for separate entrances for men and women. Two entrances, one on 6th Street and the other facing the alleyway on the west side of the building, were reserved for men and were flanked by a saloon, billiard room, cigar shop, a newsstand, and a barber shop featuring baths. The women's entrance on Brazo Street allowed female guests to proceed directly to their rooms, thereby avoiding the cigar smoke and rough talk of the cattlemen in the lobby. <laughs> what? <laughs> Go to your room. <laughs> I'm going to sit down here with the boys. Oh my god. That's weird, though, to have two entrances for when men and women. Not really. Oh, well, maybe not back then. Maybe not in Texas. I mean, I don't know. I've never been to Texas. Well, it's so women didn't have to go through the bars and stuff like that. Oh. The second floor contained the main dining room and ballroom, separate parlors for men and women, a children's dining room, and bridal suites. Other embellishments included an electric bell system, marble bureaus, steam heating, and gas lighting. The 13-story annex designed by the El Paso architecture firm Trost & Trost opened in 1930. The 180-room annex contains a bungalow penthouse that is only accessible from the building's roof. The bungalow contains two bedrooms with private baths, a living room, and a full kitchen. The bungalow was originally used as a private residence by superintendents of the Southern Pacific Railroad, but was later rented to high-profile ga- guests, guests, including Jack Dempsey, Bob Hope, and President Lyndon Johnson. In 1979, the hotel manager restored the bungalow to use as his private residence. So. That'd be kind of tight. I don't, (laughs) the trust and trust made me laugh. It's like, why not, why, why, why trust and trust? Uh, I think it's like a symbolic thing. Oh, that's weird. (laughs) It's got to be, because everybody's like, oh, Edgar and Poe. Or, oh, this and this, and this and this. All All your architecture firms, stuff like that, are always like, yeah, White and Daughtry. That's weird. I don't like it. Okay. So now we're going to get into Driscoll, Jesse Driscoll and his history and how, I don't know, how he was. Jesse Driscoll, a successful cattle baron, had moved to Texas from (laughs) Missouri. (laughs) 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 M-I-S-S-I-S-S-O-U-R-I. To, he he moved from Texas to Missouri, and er, I'm sorry, <laughs> just <laughs> you didn't mess me up. <laughs> Missouri. Jesse Driscoll, a successful cattle baron, had moved to Texas from Missouri in 1849, flush with cash from his service to the Confederate Army, to which he supplied beef throughout the Civil War. He decided to diversify by constructing a grand hotel in Austin. In 1884, Driscoll purchased land at the corner of 6th and Brazos for $7,500 and announced his plans for the hotel. 
The hotel had a grand opening on December 20th, 1886, and was featured in a special edition of the Austin Daily Statesman. On January 1st, 1887, Governor Sol Ross held his inaugural ball in its ballroom, beginning a tradition for every Texas governor since. In May 1887, less than a year after it opened, Driscoll was forced to close the hotel. As he could no longer afford to operate the hotel following a harsh winter and drought that killed his cattle inventory. In addition, S.E. McKinley, 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 I think it's McKinley, 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 the hotel's general manager and half of the staff were hired by the Beach Hotel in Galveston, which expedited the closure. Driscoll sold the hotel in 1888 to his brother-in-law, Jim Doc Day, who reopened the hotel in January of 1888. Austin magnate George Littlefield, responsible for other Austin landmarks such as the Littlefield House, opened the Austin National Bank on the southeast corner of the building. The old bank vault still remains. Littlefield letter, letter, later purchased the hotel for $106,000 in 1895 and vowed that it would never close again. Littlefield invested over $60,000 in renovations, including ceiling frescoes, electric lighting, steam heating, and 28 additional lavatories, but still sold the hotel at a loss of $25,000 in 1903 to banking competitor E.L. Wilmot. Under Wilmot's ownership, the hotel was managed by hotelier W.L. Stark who added a barbershop and a women's spa featuring Turkish baths, oversaw the construction of the annex, and adorned the former smoking room with eight antique Austrian gold-leaf frame mirrors previously owned by Maximilian and Carlotta of Mexico. In 1950, the hotel embarked on a renovation, which closed off the 6th Street entrance and removed the rotunda skylight to make way for AC units on the roof. In 1952, the former Austin National Bank was transformed into a television studio for KTBC, the very first television station in Central Texas. In 1969, the Driscoll closed its guest rooms in anticipation of a renovation and new tower containing a modern glass facade, which never materialized. Most of its furnishings were sold, and an American Statesman article declared, Driscoll Hotel's fate sealed. The hotel was saved from the wrecking ball at almost the last minute. However, when a nonprofit organization called the Driscoll, Corp- the Driscoll Hotel Corporation raised $900,000. Braniff International Hotels Incorporated, a division of Braniff Airways Incorporated of Dallas, Texas, bought the hotel in 1972 and began a $350,000 restoration of the grand lobby of the historic facility. Braniff reopened the hotel to customers on January 15th 1973, to very strong bookings and conference business. Braniff threw an official grand reopening celebration on February 10, 1973. Over 1,000 guests attended the gala event that included a parade of every Texas governor and or their descendants since 1886. All proceeds from the event went to the Austin Heritage Society, who was strategically instrumental in the resurrection of Hotel Driscoll. They've so far spent a lot of money on this hotel. (laughs) I mean, it seems like a lot of money for the... It's just changed a lot of hands. Yeah. When you got to think, though, between 1880 and 2000... Mm-hmm. Lot, Millions of dollars. Uh, well, that, and a lot of people, yeah, went through a lot of... But the amount of innovations. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of work on it, too. And if you want to be a grand hotel, you got to keep up. And, and they're every, still open, and so... Every, but everybody was doing the hotel as secondary businesses. Mm-hmm. 
Like, oh, I'm a cattle guy, I have a hotel. Right. Oh, I'm a banker, I have a hotel. Right. It's this, so it wasn't the main priority, so it's like, oh, well, I can't keep up with the times. Right. On to the next person who wants it, who cares. In 1995, the Driscoll was purchased by Great American Life Insurance, who embarked on a $30 million renovation to restore the hotel to its original appearance, which had been heavily modified over the years. The hotel closed for four years for renovation work and was reopened in a Millennium Celebration on December 31st, 1999. That's cool, though. <laughs> party like it's 1999. In, 20 <laughs> in 2013, the Driscoll was purchased by Hyatt Hotels Corporation for $85 million, who embarked on an $8 million renovation of the hotel. Hyatt sold the hotel to Dallas-based Woodbine Development in May 2022 for $125 million. That's not a great ROI. No, but that's still a lot of money. Yeah, but you got to think, they bought it. They bought it for, th what they, I don't know what they purchased it for, but they spent $30 million renovating it for four years. That was the Great American Life Insurance. Okay, hold on a they, second. They purchased it for 85 They purchased it for 85 They sunk another eight into it, so they're 93 in, and they only sold it for 125 That ROI is not good. Oof. In addition to its beautiful architecture and rich history, the Driscoll continues to draw attention due to its host of tragedies and rumors of paranormal activity. The hotel is said to be home to more than one ghost, including a seven-year-old Samantha who died after falling down the grand staircase. So we're going to get into the ghosts. There's a lot of ghosts. It's not just one. Could you imagine busting your ass down a grand staircase and what you die? I want to see what this grand staircase looks like because I didn't even... <laughs> she was seven, too. That, it must have been a bad fall for a seven-year-old to die. I mean, it's a grand staircase. I don't. I won't know what it looks like, though. I'll look it up while you read. All right, so the first ghost we're going to talk about is the cowboy. <laughs> Jesse Driscoll is said to haunt the hotel. Shortly after the hotel opened up, Jesse came under the pressure of financial hardship. That's code for he blew his earnings on booze, women, and gambling. I mean, he lived a good life. <laughs> oh my god. Jesse had no choice but to forfeit the ownership of the Driscoll almost immediately after it opened up. A game of cards did the cowboy in. Jesse lost the deed at the poker table. By that point, he was a mess and up to his eyeballs in debt. Monica Ballard, author of True Haunted Tales of the Driscoll Hotel, stated, One of my most famous stories is one of the few sightings we've had of Colonel Driscoll. One of his favorite rooms in the Driscoll overlooks 6th and Brazo, and there was a consultant in town who woke up one night to see a gentleman standing in his room, looking out the window at about 3 o'clock in the morning, puffing on a cigar. He sat up in bed and said, Hey, fella, what the hell are you doing in my room? He said the guy looked at him and gave him that look like, Your room? But he didn't say anything. The consultant leaned over and snapped on the light by the bed, and when the light came on, there was no one standing by the window, but the curtains were still swaying and there was a cloud of cigar smoke in the air. So I don't know what you think of when you see Grand Staircase, but these pictures... So normally a Grand Staircase is in the middle. There's normally two halls on the left and right side, right. and then it wise off. That's not what this does. Let me see. It looks like... I'm... And see, I don't know if, like... Like, this is the best picture that I can find. It only does it on one side. 
Like, it only has a staircase. Like, okay, grand staircase. You have two sections. You walk up, you can go left, or you can go right. But, like, this one only has the two with a with a handle in the middle. So it has two. Yeah, but it's still a grand staircase I mean, because you have two staircases that meet in the middle. So it still does the Y. Yeah, but. So she probably fell down the left or right side. I don't see her falling down the six steps in the front. Right, that's what. Where the landing is. Right. She had to have fallen down, like, the, the big one. Because there's only, like, and that, the, the, the one in the middle, there's only, like, maybe 10, 12 stairs there. I don't know. I just wouldn't, that, they must have renovated it because I don't, I don't think that's very grand, but that's just me. I don't think it's very grand. <laughs> okay, so then you have the bride. In the early 1990s, a distraught bride checked into room 329 of the Driscoll. Her fiancé had just called off their wedding. The woman decided to blow over $40,000 on a shopping spree and culinary free-for-all on her second day of mourning. On the third, she lined up all her swag next to her bed, pulled out a gun, and blew her head off. She used a pillow to muffle the sound of the round. To this day, guests swear they see her ghost towing bags up and down the halls of the ho- of the hotel. That you know what? She bought honestly, forty thousand dollars worth of shit. Honestly, that's go- how I want to go. <laughs> can I can I go to forty thousand? Forty grand, and then blow my brains. <laughs> she didn't even get to enjoy her forty thousand dollars of shit before she killed herself. Oh, she did. She lined it up. She did. She lined it up. She got to look at it. But it was on her second. Day. I want to know what she bought. Did she buy clothes? Did she buy? Well, it was obviously a mind-blowing experience. Stop. <laughs> I mean. All right, next. She lined. The, ch- the child. The child. Is the child. What's worse than a rapist? A child. Stop it. You can't say that. Well, it's funny. Oh, my God. That that it, that vine is, is killer. I know. Another of the ghosts said to haunt the Driscoll is that of a child who died after plummeting to his death down a flight of stairs. The kid made a grab for his bouncy ball and overreached. Paranormal investigators have managed to catch the faint sound of a ball ping-ponging against the walls while a mischievous voice giggles. That's sketchy. <laughs> Children well, I'm trying, giggling and laughing. I'm trying to at understand. Night, terrifying, dude. <laughs> I'm trying to understand what happened here. Like, okay. So he probably endowed down the damn stairs. But it says he overreached. So what did what? I bet you it was falling down the stairs and he went to go grab it. When he did, he dolphin dived. Mm, probably. He probably went crunch. Crunch. Crunch and crunch. Yeah. Children giggling and laughing at night. Petrifying. Mischievously. Like. Petrifying. I know. <laughs> and the, But the ping ponging against the walls, I don't know if that would bother me. But then if I heard ping ponging like a ball heard, in the wall. Heard, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd have a serious problem then. I'd be like, oh, I gotta dip my bullets in holy water now. Great, fantastic. I know. This kid's gonna die twice. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so now we have the painting. There's a haunted painting. Another folk story surrounding the Driscoll is that of a painting found on the fifth floor of the hotel. The artwork is unnamed, but it's based on a painting by Charles Garland called Love Letter. And it's, yeah? I know. <laughs> like the game? I know. <laughs> and it's an unnerving piece brought to life by Richard King. It depicts a little girl holding a bouquet of flowers in one hand and a letter in the other. 
ghost hunters claim that the painting depicts the four-year-old daughter of U.S. Senator Temple Lee Houston, who died in a horrible accident at the hotel. The painting is said to be haunted, and people who stroll by it constantly feel the presence of something sinister riding their coattails until they vacate the cursed building. Hold on. I want to see what this this painting looks like. What is it called? Love Letter by Charles Garland? Because <laughs> I'm very curious. Charles? By the way, Love Letter is a <clears throat> fast-paced card game. Very fun. I think there's only, what, 15 cards in the deck? Yeah. Okay, that would scare the shit out of me too. That's 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 pretty creepy. I don't like that. I do not like that little child. You can buy this. You can buy like reprints of it. That's what we should do is get a bunch of haunted paintings and hang them in the house. Have you what? Have you never seen? No, that's that. No, no, you don't do that. What's the worst that could happen? Um, I don't know. Oculus, like that was a mirror. Dumbass. It was a mirror, but they could still come to life. It could still kill you. Why does she have such a creepy fucking grin? Like. <laughs> Because children at that age are sketchy. Children in general are sketchy. But it's that age. They're like, I'm so innocent and I could murder you in your sleep. I want to know what the letter said, though. It was probably about love. Stop. Well, he doesn't know. Why Does he it, know? Why? It's a painting. But it, it just says that she's holding a letter. Doesn't know if it's a love letter. Why do you name it love letter? Maybe the flowers. Maybe he just put the flowers and the letter together and like. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Now we're going to talk about the POTUS. Oh my god. And, for all those history buffs, perhaps the most famous ghost duet to haunt the hotel is the power couple of Ladybird and LBJ, baby! The pair had their first hookup slash date in 1934 in the Driscoll's dining room. For years, they flocked to the place to not only relive their glory days, but for special occasions. The Driscoll became Lyndon Johnson's favorite place when he visited Austin, so much that he watched the results of the 1964 presidential elections from the presidential suite after he bagged the ballots. He addressed his supporters in the ballroom and moved his tail feathers in rather an insane victory dance to the cheers of his lackeys. The Driscoll was, and quite possibly is, LBJ's favorite place in Austin. To this day, people recount tales of stumbling into the ballroom and catching the reflection of the late president and his adoring wife on the mirrors or out of the corner of their eyes. I don't think I would like that. To see a dead... What, what's old LBJ gonna do? I don't know. Is he not... He's not the one who is in the wheelchair. Which one was that? That this Truman. Truman. Okay. Oh, well... He still blew up a country from a chair, though. Just saying. Who did? Truman. Oh, <laughs> Oh, uh, but that, I mean, that's sweet that... Wait, was it Truman in the in the chair? I don't know. Hold on. I, it was, whoever it was had used, like, all three of their names, like, first, middle, I'm pretty sure they did. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it was Truman. In okay. Room. I think it's sweet. Wait, no. Wait, no? Whoever it was, they had, what, what was it? Uh, 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 why were they in a wheelchair to begin with? What was it? They had, like... It's not muscular dystrophy, but it's kind of like that, I think. Or what was that? I don't know. You have to figure this out because it's going to bother me. FDR was in the wheelchair. What did he have? What happened to him? Paralytic. Oh, he's... Okay. I think it's sweet that Lady Bird and LG... LBJ... LG Bay. LG Bay. LG Bay. LBJ had their first hookup and date in 1934 in the dining room. I think that's really sweet. 
Okay. Um, so now we're going to talk about some of the noteworthy events at the Driscoll Hotel. And also, I know this episode is going to be a little bit shorter, but I think that might be okay for you guys because you just got over like a two and a half hour episode. Uh, was the last one two and a half hours? No, it was like an hour and 50 minutes, I think, when I was done mm, editing mm, it. Mm, mm. But um, this one can be a little bit shorter. Give you guys a little bit of a break um, because you just had five weeks of Amityville um, where the episodes were over an hour long each. So, And then next week we'll get a little bit longer. I know that's not very like consistent, but I figured... Consistency is key, man. I know. Well, the consistency is, you know, putting it is posting when I'm supposed to post and I am well, how does that make you feel? I'm not good at that either so <laughs> so noteworthy events at the Driscoll Hotel in 1908 the daughters of the Republic of Texas met at the Driscoll Hotel to discuss the fate of the Alamo mission in San Antonio at the meeting Remember. the Alamo was <laughs> the magnet that I broke with my ass on your mom yeah, handmade ceramic magnet, too. Yeah, so his mom went to, is it in, where's the Alamo? In San Antonio? Is it in San Antonio? <laughs> I don't know. It's in Texas. I don't know. She <laughs> she went to Texas for, like, a conference or something, and she came back with this. It was, like, I don't think it was ceramic. I think it was, like, clay. Like, I think it was literally, I don't know. It was handmade, and it was the Alamo. It was a little tiny, like, replica thingy of the Alamo. And You, you know when, when clay is heated and it turns really hard? It turns into ceramic. Whatever. <laughs> Listen. So- <laughs> and it was the front of the Alamo building. Yeah, it, it was the, the Alamo. Of- and she put it on the side of her fridge. Now, mind you, her fridge is ginormous for no freaking reason at all. And she's got this table in her kitchen, and you have to like. Jamie went to go walk by. You have to like sc- scoot between the table and the fridge, and I hit the magnet I, and it shattered on the tile floor. And she had only had that magnet like a week, and she was like, "Really? I'm never going back there. Really? <laughs> Oopsies." <laughs> so then I glued it back together, and now it's at the top of the fridge where Jamie can't reach it. <laughs> I'm like a cat. Like you have to move all the magnets to the top so that I don't mess. With at the meeting a divide between two factions of the group erupted over whether to demolish or preserve the structure obviously they voted to preserve it because it's still there isn't it i hope i think since my mother visited a couple years ago (laughs) shot shot in the dark it might still be there On October 12, 1931, Louis Armstrong opened a three-day performance at the Driscoll Hotel. In attendance was Charles Black, a freshman at University of Texas at Austin at the time, who cited the performance as inspiration for his interest in race and civil rights. Louis Armstrong, isn't he the one that has like that gravelly voice? Isn't... Yeah. Yeah, okay. And he played a trumpet? Mm-hmm. I think it was a trumpet. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'd be pretty hyped to see... Right, though? Um, so President Bill Clinton stayed in the four-room Cattle Baron suite when he visited Austin in 1999. That's probably for his three secretaries. Stop it! <laughs> uh, on September 11th, 2001, 9-11, Jenna Bush, daughter of President George W. Bush, was relocated to the hotel by the Secret Service in the wake of the terrorist attacks early that day. And why do you think that is? Let's not get it started. We're not <laughs> going to start on I 9/11. Just... <laughs> Don't make me go down this rabbit hole. 
Bush did 9-11. Um, <laughs> and I guess that's a, I was like, it took me a second to like realize when I, when I was doing this, I was like September 11, 2001. That's cool. And then I was like, Jenna Bush, Bush at 9-11. No wonder she was fucking moved to Texas. I wonder who knew that she was moving to Texas, that she was being moved to Texas. Probably just Bush. I'm going to be honest with you, man. Bush was such an idiot. I don't think he knew what was going on. I don't... Mm. I don't think he knew everything that was going on. I don't think he knew a fucking thing. I don't know. He's not as... No. I don't think he knew what was going on. I don't... He's sitting there reading children's stories, right? In a in a, in a, in a in school. An elementary school, I think it was. Guy walks up, lets him know, hey, World Trade Center just got struck by I know, planes. I remember. We're, we're under attack. And he just froze and like looked up all dramatic like he was in a movie because he's a moron. Or he was like, oh, really? Did that happen? No, no. I don't get vibes like that from old W. I don't Maybe know. Maybe his daddy. Maybe. But I, I don't see old W going, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I don't think he knew what was going on. He was like, damn it, I should have attended that meeting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. On March 17th. 2018, actor Bill Murray and cellist Jan Vogler recited the poem Dog by Lawrence Ferlinghetti from the front steps of the Driscoll Hotel to promote the film Isle of Dogs during the 2018 South by South Festival. And South by Southwest Festival. Whatever, I thought you said Weast. (laughs) South by Southwest. Oh my god. So. So it doesn't seem like any bad hauntings. No, it just seems like people the are just connected to the hotel. And that they don't leave. yeah, and then you know, just the child is probably the most annoying one. It the seems child. like the child. Did you like it? Did you like the history? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know a hotel was so connected, but then again, I mean, I guess presidents were kind of. I didn't on. know any of this about this hotel until I found it. No, I didn't know LG Bay. L- L- <laughs> I didn't know LG Bay. LG Bay. <laughs> I didn't know LBJ did uh, did his Senate raising and all of his inaugural stuff there. Yeah, obviously he liked it. And then Bill Clinton liked it. Well, Bill Clinton liked any hotel that had private rooms. And Bill Clinton liked hoes in general. No. Yeah. They weren't hoes. He didn't pay for them. <laughs> he didn't have to. That's fair. What's her name? What was her name? Monica Lewinsky. That's it. Oh, my God. You know they have a show about her. That doesn't surprise me. I think it's, it's like... I don't know if it's like specifically about her, but it's like I'm honestly more surprised she didn't get suicided by the Clinton family. <sighs> no, they weren't the Kennedys. Mm, yeah, but everybody that says anything bad about the Clintons ends up shooting themselves twice in the head. Mm, same thing happened with the Kennedys. <coughs> Marilyn Monroe. Well, she got killed because one, she she knew all the too much. Two, she knew too much, and three, she knew about the underground tunnel going to the White House. Yeah, she knew too much. So the Secret Service got rid of her ass. No, I still think the Kennedys had a hand in it. Nah. I know. I don't think so. I do. I think once they found out that she was bang a all the brothers, <laughs> and they were sneaking her into the White House to do it, and they're like, whoa. I don't know. Because for the time, it was, one, she knows too much, she's not presidential. Two, she's a woman. And three, she's a controver- controversial Controversial. She was woman. very sexualized. Yeah. Same thing happened to Elvis. Yeah. Why? Okay. Elvis. Elvis. His dancing, his music, everything. Yes. For the time, very... Out there? Uh, 
I think that peop- the society looked at it as like very heretic, mm-hmm. very against God, and you know, and the women loved him, and he became an icon. So mysteriously, he got drafted. Right. And mysteriously, he went to one of the most hostile environments, which was Italy. Mm. Somehow he survived, and he came back, and they were like, shit. <laughs> Didn't work. So you're telling me a man that was never known for doing drugs, he drank a little bit, he liked to smokes, stuff like that, he liked women, and he liked music, he wanted to be famous, mysteriously had a heart attack in his young age while sitting on a toilet. Sitting on a toilet? Wait, how old was he when he died? Don't correct me, or correct me if I'm wrong. No, I won't correct you now. I believe he was in his 30s. <laughs> he was. No, 40s. 42. Oh, he was 42. So he had a heart attack at 42. I mean, people have had heart attacks at 50, but still. Yeah, but isn't it kind of coincidental? Well, Marilyn Monroe didn't do any drugs, and that's how she died. Yeah, that's because the government's not original. Well, it's because the Kennedys were crazy. Don't get me wrong. I liked JFK. I liked that he was... You know, I mean, the reason that he was killed that. was because of, you know, the civil rights movement that he tried to do and all of that stuff. Well, and the fact that he was young. Yeah. Nobody liked that he was young and had different views. No. The president doesn't run the country. People need to remember that. I know. The president has no involvement. He has a little bit of, hey, guys, let's kind of try to do this. You want to talk about conspiracy theories and you want to go about JFK, then you need to bring in Lincoln. Because JFK and Lincoln... Are very alike. Yeah, but I mean, Lincoln was pretty cut and dry. That was before a lot of the. Uh, no, but I'm saying the cons- like the the conspiracy theories about Lincoln, like they died a hundred years apart. What did he? 1863, I think I it was, in 1963. Um, Kennedy was in a Lincoln car when he was shot, and Lincoln was at the Kennedy Center when he was shot. It was funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's... That's hilarious. Stop! Did they have mind-blowing experiences? God! I mean, yeah. <laughs> Such a dick. But the government is not run by one man. And anybody that thinks that an elected official, one man elected official, actually runs a country, just as dumb. Well, we probably shouldn't talk about that too much. Bring it on. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but... Anyways, what did you? What were we talking about? LG, LG Bay, LG Bay. I just, you, you know what? That's LG his Bay, name from Bay. Na- from now on. That's his name, LG Bay, not L. What is this? LBJ, LBJ. <sighs> Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson. I don't even remember what we were talking about with him. That's why you don't go down any fucking conspiracy theory rabbit holes, man. Because of you. Oh, we were talking about Bush and how he did 9-11. He did. No, he didn't. He didn't have any, I, don't, I don't think he had any involvement in it. <laughs> the United States government definitely did, though. I mean, yeah. I don't like to talk about 9-11 because it makes me sad. You're going to get that on those big jobs. Um, God. Not like that. What, what you showed me from Pete Davidson about him. Oh, his dad. That joke. Yeah. Oh, my God. What did he say? What was it? I mean, it's it's when everywhere. His, so you. So, so when his dad died. His dad died on 9-11. He was a firefighter. And I guess the state or the feds or whatever gave his mom a bunch of money. So yeah. he him and his sister up. She bought him a pool. And all of his buddies were like, man, you're so lucky you got a pool. <laughs> we wish we had a pool. You're so lucky. He's like, man, 
<laughs> you sure are lucky that you know you have a dad. <laughs> and he said, "Hey, what did he say? He said I have a pool that I can fill up with, with tears. My, yeah, with tears, I fill it up with my tears." <laughs> God. Oh my God, he's probably the only. He's not the only person. I mean, anybody who's lost a person who lost somebody on nine eleven are probably the only people who should really make jokes about it. But they're not. So here we are. Well, you've got a new generation coming up that has no idea about 9-11. I know. You barely know about 9-11. Yeah, the only thing that I, I remember, remember... it. The only thing I remember is sitting in the living room with my sister and my father freaking out on the phone while watching the big projector screen You were TV. in daycare. I was four. Uh, yeah, you were in daycare. I was seven? I was four or five. I was seven in 2001. I think I was like six or seven, something like that. So I was in like second grade. Yeah, 94. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was like second grade. I remember um, the teachers. In 2016, the year after I, the year after I graduated high school. Wow. um, They started teaching it as a historical event because after 15 years, it's considered a historical event. I remember the teachers freaking out and gathering all the kids together outside so that our parents could pick us up. Our parents picked us up and we went home. And everybody was crying, and I was sitting in the middle of the living room floor, and I didn't really know what was going on, but I did. I do remember what was on TV. I remember seeing the buildings on fire, the the towers on fire, and like the smoke coming off of them. But that's that's pretty much it. I know. I don't know if there's anybody who's older than me that might remember more than me, other than like our parents. <laughs> but I mean, like people who listen to us. I don't know. <laughs> But I know you don't remember a lot because you were too young. And now there's kids here who don't who don't even remember it because they were born after it. Or they were born in like 2000. People that are 23 I know. were born after that so they can legally drink. Yeah, that's... Mm, I don't like that. <laughs> Makes you feel old, don't it? <laughs> well, I'm 20. I'm going to be 29. Not next month, but the month I after. you're turning 30 this year. No, you better keep that number away from me for as long as possible. I oh. am 29. Nine? Twenty-nine. When I hit thirty, I'm gonna stop aging, so I'm cool. <laughs> when you hit thirty, you're gonna start getting gray hair. Dude, I already get gray hair. No, it's, I'm sorry, it's not gray; it's white. It is. It is very pure white, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> my strands, my streaks oh going my up my God. head. Awful. So, anyways. Yep. So, food for thought. You know, fuel is... can't melt, melt steel beams. You know, normal stuff. Oh my God! They it, it can't. Mythbusters had an episode and it got taken down. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's funny. So anyway, back to the Driscoll Hotel. That. I really liked the history of it. I know it was a shorter story and we got on off on tangent, but. It's also like a nicer story because it's not like the ghosts are fucking with people. Right. The ghosts are just kind of like there. But I also like the fact that it's still in use today. What I'm really curious about is they, they said, you know, the dude that built it, right? Jesse had all this money that he got off the Confederates for he, selling food to them, right? He sold, he slaughtered cows and sold the meat. Right. Confederate currency is worth nothing. As soon as the Union was reestablished, Confederate currency was gone. So he must have, he must have seen what was going on. Fucking bailed, went to Texas, was like, hey, I got all this Confederate money. It's great. A oh, bank no. probably accepted it. He had all the property and everything. Oh God! And, and then, then just... it, it was paper. The paper was worth nothing. But it said that he lost it due to the winter. And the... We well, lost the hotel, but I'm talking about the, the actual... He like, probably didn't have the money the, to he, like keep yeah, it well, up. What he did was he probably saw, hey, Confederates losing, man. You know, and then he didn't have the money to keep it up for that winter. 
and yeah. it just got dist- like he just couldn't. So, but it's okay because the South will rise again. Oh my God! I'm sorry. <laughs> Should I not say that? <laughs> so my mother's a Yankee. So is yours. It's fine. Still doesn't sound good when you're like, yeah, they're Yankees. It's fine. <laughs> Listen, it's not our fault that our parents are Yankees and then we were just raised down here. I mean, that's fair. It's not our fault. I've never understood, you know, saying that the South Arise Again didn't raise the first time. Stop! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Have you ever seen Sweet Home Alabama? No, I watch good things. <gasps> Sweet Home Alabama is good. No, it's not. Especially when Bear dies. That's the one with Reese Witherspoon in it, right? Mm-hmm. I just ruined it for people who haven't seen it. Because every time I watch that movie, I will always cry. You know, I heard she got stabbed. Stop it. Bear dies, and Risa. she comes home. Stop. Reese. Witherspoon. No, it was with a knife. Shut up. <laughs> Bear dies, and... She goes to the, the, um, the, what is it? The graveyard for the dogs and stuff. And she's like, she said, I bet you sat there wondering what you thought you'd done wrong. And I'm going to cry to see you. Because <laughs> she left. And I'm just going to stop ruining the movie for people. You should just watch it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> watch a good movie. Anyway, like, like Reservoir Dogs or something. Ew. Bruh. I don't know what that is. I mean, I do, but I've never seen it. Well. No, we're not. Yes. Don't even get that idea. It's Quentin Tarantino. What Quentin Tarantino movie have I actually liked? Which ones have I made you watch? You like Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's okay. Reservoir Dogs is the precursor to Pulp Fiction. Kind of. They're kind of intertwined. What's the one? Is it Pulp Fiction, the one where they're in like the diner? Yes. Okay. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, great, historically accurate World War II movie. That movie's so stupid. Yeah, I know it is. I love it. <laughs> My God. Uh, Kill Bill's good. Nope, never watched that. One and two are very good. Very, very, very good. Then there are three? Nope. Oh, okay. Two. What else? You like Django. I do like Django. Django. I do like Django. But I only like Django because, one, Jamie Foxx is an amazing actor, and two, so is Leonardo DiCaprio. So. I loved the interactions between Jamie Foxx and, and Leo, man. I know. Because it was so hard for Leonardo to be, to be for him to play... A racist. Yeah. Wasn't it, didn't Jamie Foxx have to tell him like, no, it's okay, you can say it. He was like, yeah, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta play the part, you gotta be a thing. And then um, Samuel L. Jackson was like, it's just another day for us, motherfucker. Yeah. And then the next day, Leo wouldn't talk to him because he treated him like slaves because he was like, um, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? He was, um, no, he was getting into character. What's the word I'm looking for? It's not improv. It's I don't remember. Where like they play that character while they're on set the entire time, so he wouldn't speak. To Django, or he wouldn't speak to Jamie Foxx, and he wouldn't speak to uh, oh Samuel L. Jackson at all, and they were like, all right. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think I could either. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio goes paid a lot of money, so. But, I mean, I feel him. I don't think I would be able to, I don't think I would be able to call Samuel to L. Jackson. To fucking racist the entire time? Uh, yeah, to no. Samuel L. Jackson and Jamie Foxx, like. <laughs> okay, anyways, we're going to end, because we've been, we've been chit-chatting too much. Yeah. So, I hope you liked this story. I hope you liked this episode. It's a little bit shorter, maybe. And then next week, make a normal episode again. So. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for coming to hang out with us and letting us tell you stories. Don't forget, you can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at 3AM Tales of Terror. You can find pictures from each episode there, as well as our website, 3, the number 3, 3AM Tales of Terror.com. You can also subscribe with your email at our website for updates as well. If you have questions 
or story ideas for us, you can email us at info at 3amtalesofterror.com. If you want to support us, you can sign up to become part of our Patreon. There, you will get ad-free episodes as well as bonus content. We hope you'll join us next week. And And we we hope hope you were terrified. terrified.